I am a teacher, teen and parent coach, internationally known trainer. I own and run a residential treatment center for teens. And best of all, I am a happy father, stepfather and husband. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back, brought to you by Mental Health News Radio and Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. I am your host, Aaron Huey. Beyond Risk and Back is designed for parents, clinicians, and teachers looking for support to guide the teens they care for to move forward from risky behaviors into real freedom and responsibility. Now, let's help each other get these kids back from Beyond Risk. Parents, thank you so much for joining us. Today, our conversation is going to be about natural consequences. Natural consequences is something we absolutely endorse at Fire Mountain. We use natural consequences. A perfect example is there are kids who, as they get into their process, they'll be about two months in. They'll want to go home on pass. They'll start asking parents about passes. They'll start asking staff about passes. And the response tends to be, oh, that sounds like a great idea. How are you doing on your your phase work. And that's when you hear the, well, I haven't done and I still got to do and blah, blah, blah. And we said, oh man, well, it sounds like you got uh, some work to do. Do you have a plan or do you need some support? No, I got it. I just got to get all done. It sucks. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Let me know if I can support you. Okay. And that's a natural consequence. So we're good. not only we just want to talk about natural consequences, talk about the benefit of natural consequences. Those things are, are generally pretty easy to grok. I think where a lot of parents have gotten stuck through the years is how to create them and why we're going to focus on natural consequences. So that's what we're going to take the time to do. So like I said, I'll go in and out of talking and get questions and stuff like that. We can bring up uh, particular situations. So let's jump right into it. First of all, natural consequences is the idea that rather than us giving the child a consequence because they have broken a rule. We're going to let the action itself create the consequence. Now, a lot of times that's easier said than done. That's number one. Number two, it's easier to do when they're little kids. Your kids aren't little and they've gone, they've become at risk teens and then they've gone beyond risk teens and they've actually gone into that life and limb spot. The life and limb spot is where uh, our non-negotiables live, our consequences, our rules, the points where we step in and take over. The kids aren't allowed to make decisions. They don't get a vote. Life and limb are the serious infractions. There's going to be a conversation on what is really life and limb. Honestly, I don't believe failing school is life and limb. I don't think you should intervene on that. I did not with both of my kids. My wife and I made a very clear, conscious decision that we were going to stop intervening on our children's grades and homework. Two things happened. Number one, the argument stopped. The nightly discussion stopped. The freedom that my wife and I didn't have to plan our evenings around what the kids were and weren't doing with regards to their school stopped. And my wife and the evenings belonged to us. The second thing that happened is that because we stopped managing their homework, they started managing. Two things, physics tells us this, two things cannot occupy the same space. So two people cannot manage one item. Having multiple managers in a business, one of the reasons my wife is the CEO of Fire Mountain and I'm not is because A, she's way smarter than me, but B, it was really hard on our team to have two people managing them, two people telling them what to do next, two people trying to enforce the value system and the expectations of our business. 
So, if two things cannot occupy the same space, then one person must vacate the space you want the other to employ. We know as adults that if someone doesn't manage our lives, someone else will. Our lives are up for grabs, and we are supposed to be the ones managing them. If we don't, someone else will. And man, do we hate it when people micromanage us. Well, if you have someone who cannot stop micromanaging you and it's making you miserable, you got to consider getting another job. But if you are actually doing all your work, you're handling your work just fine, they shouldn't have to micromanage you. It's easy to say. A lot of the things that we talk about are easy to say, tough to put into practice, and really hard to stay consistent on, but all those things are necessary. Now back to natural consequences. I propose that the most valuable lessons you have ever learned have come from the consequences of your actions, not from someone telling you what you should have done or what you need to think about doing next, which is exactly how we raise our kids. I have two kids. They're 21 and 22 now. And a big part of my life, I was not so much the teacher parent. I was the preacher parent. I, man, I went into sermons. I didn't, I didn't lecture my kids. I sermonized. I proselytized. I went deep off into existential esotericism to try to get them to do the cat boxes. <laughs> it's like, it was ridiculous. Then the natural consequences, as we began to, as my wife and I began to employ natural consequences more and more and more, my children learned more. They got smarter. They were trusted. We trusted them more. And that was demonstrated by very simple conversations where they said, oh my God, I think I'm going to fail math. And we go, oh no. Well, you're smart. You'll figure it out. Because failing math is not going to end your life. I'm proof of that. I failed every math class I ever took. And I'm a pretty successful businessman. I know there's more than one company up here at Fire Mountain. There's also Fire Mountain Enterprises and Bear Tribe LLC. And we own real estate in another state. There, I'm a, I'm a relatively successful businessman. So I'm proof that failing math class won't ruin your life. But our fear in the moment that if we don't teach them a lesson that they're somehow going to suffer life and limb is overwhelming as a parent. And that's very true. Well, if, if they fail school, then they won't get into college. And if they don't get into college, then they won't get a good job. And if they don't get a good job, life will be hard. And I don't want my kid to have a hard life. I want them to be happy. And if they're not happy, they are obviously suffering from depression now and they might die. And we can connect anything to death if we approach it from fear. So the goal here now is to go back to the concept that if we look back at our lessons, if we entertain my proposal where best lessons we ever learned came from natural consequences. I trusted a man many years ago with a business that he and I shared, and I ignored signs that he was an untrustworthy person. And he took a, our contract and took it for himself. He absconded with our business. And as a result of that, I lost a tremendous portion of income. That, on top of mismanagement of my own personal funds, caused my wife and I to go bankrupt. Probably the best lesson about finances and business partners I have ever had was losing it all. And it was tough. We had some hard candy Christmases. We had some times where we didn't know how we were going to make mortgage. We had sometimes, there was a long period of time where we couldn't afford Netflix. 
those are tough times. Those are sad times. Those are times that motivate me to make sure that I pay attention to my bills, that I pay attention to the amount of my credit card debt. How do we do that for our kids? How do we step out of the way of the natural consequences that are coming? And if they don't come, does that mean we should have done something? Because let's be honest, sometimes our kids will steal something and we'll say, well, we got to go talk to the manager and the manager of the store doesn't want to deal with it. So they don't do anything about it. And it seems that our kid gets away with it. Well, that, that could happen. And the next time they do it, I remember when my son stole a lighter from McGuckin's Hardware, they, they put him in handcuffs. And that was a big lesson for him. And when he was in tears later talking about how this was going to ruin his future, my wife and I inwardly smiled, but were able to be in support of him. Here was the thing. Both my wife and I were very angry that he stole that lighter. And as a former parent preacher, I had a whole sermon prepared to tell him what was what about morals and dogma. But when I when we showed up to pick him up and he was in tears and the first things out of his mouth were, I really screwed up. Being in handcuffs really woke me up. We didn't have to. And in fact, rather than being the scolding parents that he can now turn his frustration, fear, anger, and whatever else he's feeling onto us, let me just say it another way. If you're really pissed off at your kid and you start screaming at him, they're going to focus on you and not what they did. And they can't focus on both things. And you can scream at them till you're blue in the face that they should focus on the other thing. You need to think about what you did. Well, they're thinking about the fact that you're screaming at them and that you're being an asshole. And that's where their reaction is going to come from. They're not going to sit down and consider their feelings. They're going to be protective and defensive towards you because your energy, your own nervous system being unregulated. These things, our emotions are not consequence anymore. When they were little kids, we could go, what did you do? And they go, oh, crap, mom's mad. We could point that finger where my mom had the snap point. She'd be on the phone and be like, mom, 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 and she'd snap. And I'd, ooh, but that didn't work when I was a teenager. And so what, if we could give a look to our kids and they would shape up and then they become teenagers and we give them a look and they give us a way worse one than we gave them. And then we say something and they say something way worse than what we just said. And it pisses us off. So we go, I've had enough of you. You shut your mouth. No, you shut up. And all of a sudden we have this adulting size argument with a child. And we're losing sight of our own calmness, of the, how much we love this child. Everything goes to the wind. And all we are is pissed. All we are is angry. And so that's what we are as a parent. We're an angry parent now. None of us want to be angry parents. A lot of us get angry. The things make us angry. I'm not telling you don't be angry. I'm telling you that your anger is not a punishment, that your anger is not consequence. Your anger is your problem. It's not theirs. And that's hard to hear when it's been a guiding force for us when our kids were younger, when we had leverage. There's a new leverage, but the leverage has to come along with the transition that we stop trying to protect our kids and we start trying to prepare them. 
See, that happened. That happens around 12 years old, that our kids need our protection constantly. No, honestly, there, there are some things that our kids still need our protection around. Go listen to the podcast about uh, cell phones and pedophiles that I just did with Sergeant Harris from the Lakewood Police Department. We still need to protect our children. But we don't need to protect them from their bad grades. That's their work. We don't need to protect them from, uh, oh, let's say they do steal something. Well, that's something they can work out. They're not going to prison because they stole something from the marshals. That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that there's going to be a time investment and a financial investment. But your anger about that situation won't serve anybody. You got to get through that anger before you have the conversation about natural consequences. So that's our number one rule about utilizing natural consequences is the understanding that our emotional process about what they did is irrelevant to the consequence. You can be mad, so go be mad. But when it's time to talk to your kid, you better have dealt with your anger. So that you can talk like a sensible, reasonable, calm adult. Because that's how adults are supposed to handle things. Our entire clinical program is called Mind the Gap. Minding the Gap means that between the feeling and the action, there's a space. And that in that space, we deal with feelings. It's that compulsive action words, that thing we do when we're angry, when we're sad, when we're afraid that causes the situation to get worse. So the entire clinical program at Fire Mountain is called Mind the Gap. And we have to, as adults, we have to begin modeling that there is a gap between how we feel and what we do. My boss says something, it really makes me angry. I want to storm out, but I do have bills to pay. I do like this job. He's probably having a bad day and I probably shouldn't storm out what I felt like a few minutes ago. But now that I've actually thought through this situation, I, I could have handled it better. Uh, so I think what I need to do is and that's the gap. So when our kid does something, and I'm not saying if, especially after Fire Mountain, uh, don't, don't be fooled that they're going to come home and be little saints. and Oh, mother, I understand everything you've tried to tell me now. That'll never happen. Not till they have kids of their own. And they're like, holy crap, I get it. I'm so sorry. I was a pain in the butt. And if that happens, please call me because you're really, really lucky and we need to get that one on tape. But until then, your kid's going to screw something up. They're going to make a mistake. They're going to relapse. They're going to do something really, really, really stupid. And when they do, we've got to leave space for natural consequence because it holds the biggest lesson. That's number one. And number two, and this is the most important thing. It allows you to remain your child's ally. If when your child has screwed up and you're angry, so you go deal with that anger. After that anger, you're able to be your child's ally in the situation. For example, I totally failed science class. Oh, man, what happened? Oh, no. Oh, my teacher sucks. I hate my teacher so much. The teacher hates everybody. She hates children. I don't even know why he's teaching. Blah, blah, blah. Like, man, that must be so frustrating to have a teacher who hates children. I can't imagine what that would be. Now, of course, inside you're like, yeah, right, because they get paid so much money to do that job. They must hate children. But on the outside, our conversation is going to be, oh, my gosh, you must be so frustrated right now. God, not only do you have a teacher that seems like they really don't care, 
but now you got a bad grade you got to deal with. What's your plan? I don't know. I hate science. I suck at it. Oh, I bet you do feel that way right now, especially after failing a class. Is there any support you need from me about this? There's your ally right there. Now inside you could be like, oh my God, I cannot afford summer school. Oh my God, if you have to go to school in the summer and I have to change my summer and I got to cancel our trip to Michigan so that you can go take science class again because I happen to know that you procrastinate on your homework every night because you're texting or playing that stupid online video, blah, blah, blah. That's what's going on on the inside. But on the outside, we're saying, man, what's your plan? And we're going to give this problem right back to them because that is the biggest natural consequence that we can offer is that I'm not going to solve your problem, kiddo. A, because it's not my problem. And B, because I trust you. I trust you to fix this. And if you don't, it'll get worse. And there will be a point that maybe you'll have to step in because you're not fixing any of your problems. But this is a small one. Failing science class in 11th grade is a relatively small issue to the problems that you could have in this world. So I trust you to get this one. If you need my help, ask. I love you so much. I totally got your back on this. Well, could you come talk to the teacher? Yeah. What is it that you'd have me say? I don't know. I mean, just find out why she hates everybody. All right. I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk to the principal and then call the principal and say, listen, I know I'm a teacher and some of my kids, something like that, but I'm wondering, is there anything going on? Or don't call the principal, write the teacher a note, send it in the kid's lunchbox. The point is, is that your expectation of the child to solve the problem demonstrates that you trust them enough to solve their own problems. All right. I'm going to review really quick what we've been talking about. Number one, natural consequences hold more weight and leverage than anything that you could lecture, anything that you could say. Number two, it allows you to give them the problem back, which allows them to learn. And number three, it allows you to be their ally. And that is so important that you remain your child's allies. We'll start to get in some examples of stuff. I talked about the school thing, how that could be. It's not life and limb. Now, that's that's that can be a sticky point. And I will say my wife's from the East Coast, especially for families that have East Coast ties. I believe school education, if you came from a family where education had a real high value placed upon it, then the idea that failing out of school, dropping out of school is the end of your life, that can be a tough one to reconcile. But that's that's that personal emotional thing that you've got to deal with. I did horrible in school. I was a mess in school. I want every parent who doesn't know me, I put my parents through what your kids are putting you through. So I was a mess. There is a flip side. Number one, there is always hope to what's going on. We just have to approach it the right way. We should not, as parents, work harder than our kids at the family thing. Our kids should go to bed exhausted, not us as parents. Parents should be running a house, and that's enough work. It's enough work to manage your marriage and keep that being cohesive and navigating the ups and downs of being in relationship with someone of with this level of intensity. So now our kid brings another level of intensity because they have trauma, because there's an environmental situation, because there's a development issue, whatever. But the transition between protecting our child and preparing our child begins between 12, 13, 14 years old. And we little by little start handing them their problems back. 
Love and Logic talks about this one a lot. We are a Love and Logic facility. When I see you guys at the Parents Weekend, we're going to go deep into Love and Logic and be able to really start to practice and express some of this stuff. But there's lots of levels to this. And we're working with the kids who do things like, okay, maybe they don't forget their violin at home. Maybe instead of that version of being a frustrating child, these kids are stealing your car, slamming it into a tree, and drugs are found in the car. That's the level we're working at. But through the years, I've seen that it doesn't change the philosophy. And I actually called the founder of Love & Logic to say, I want you to know that as a Love & Logic parent and a person who runs a facility and works with kids who are not at risk, your kids were at risk three years ago. These kids are beyond risk that this stuff works because the when the when you get called by the cops at three in the morning and you didn't know your kid has snuck out and they've just crashed a car and they're all right, but they're down at the police station, there were some drugs found in the car and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to strangle this child as soon as I get them out of the police station and around the corner. So you and your child rearing partners have those conversations, you work through the anger, you fake it till you make it, at least so that you can have the first conversation. And it might be that you delay the consequence. Now, that is the first natural consequence that I want you to begin to consider at every single level. They forget their violin at home, they steal your car and smash it into a tree and get busted with drugs. Delay the consequence. Here's why. When we leave an uncomfortable space, In a conversation, in a business meeting, what do people normally try to do? They try to fill it. So leave space. Just walk in and look at your kid and say, I'm glad you're okay. I'm I'm glad you're not dead. I really, really am because I don't know what my life would be like if you died. And I hate to think about that. As far as everything else is concerned, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea how to handle this. So I'm not going to. We're going to go home. We're going to go to bed. We'll talk about it later. Try not to worry about it. That gives a lot of space. And I also, at the end of that sentence, gave the key words. Try not to worry about it. (laughs) It's a neuro-linguistic programming command. We're actually telling someone, worry about it. It would be the same thing if I said, try not to think about purple monkeys. Every single one of you just began to start putting together a vision of what a purple monkey was. Because that's how our brains work. So if I say, try not to worry about it, they're going to worry about it. And if they say, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Because you don't. Oh, you're mad enough to come up with a bunch of crazy ideas. Some will be way over the top and you will not be able to fulfill and stay constant with those. I I have a girl who's in the facility right now. And if her mom is on the phone, I apologize, but I love this example. I'm going to use it. I won't mention names because you've all done a version of this. She stole the car. And this was during the interview when I heard the story. She had stolen the car and some stuff had happened and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what was your consequence? Well, I told her I was going to call the cops on her. And I looked at her and I said, you're not going to call the cops on your daughter. And she goes, oh, no, I never would. (laughs) And then they, they know this. They know where our value system is. We've been raising them with it for 14, 15 years. But the natural consequence of stealing your car is calling the cops. Why? Well, that's because in the real world, that's what people do when you steal their cars. I was doing a phone call with a mother the other day asking me about her kid coming to the facility and then turned into a coaching session with the mom. They're going to do an intervention on the kid. I was giving them advice and stuff. But every time she tries to talk to the kid about going to a facility to get treatment at this level, he gets violent. 
he calls her horrendous names. Uh, he goes outside, he takes rocks and his fists and everything and, and starts destroying her truck. She's got to call the cops because that's what happens in the real world. And the cops are going to come and they're going to give him a ticket. Now, if she does it screaming at him, he's going to focus on her and it's going to egg him on. If the cops roll up while the kid is kicking on the car and she didn't go outside, not try to stop him, not try to protect him from himself, but to actually allow him to have this experience, allow him to have the experience of reality, of what happens when they do these things, he'll get the biggest lesson in life. So part of creating a natural consequence for your teenagers is to begin to discuss with your child-rearing partners what would the world do? How would the world handle it? And start there. The rule in love and logic is if if it makes you really uncomfortable, do that one. There's a great story where the son of the founder of Love and Logic, he is now one of the owners and he has children that he raises with Love and Logic. One of the children destroyed his computer that was in the garage because that's where his office is. And as a consequence, he was very, very angry. And I won't tell the full story, but it's hysterical watching this professional child uh, of this, this professional parent coach world-famous professional parent coach have to be reminded by his wife that he is actually a world-famous professional child coach because he wasn't handling it well. But when he finally got his nervous system back online, he came up with the greatest thing. And they took this kid's little John Deere pretend tractor mower um, to to a friend's to sell it so that the child could pay back the damage he did to the computer. And the child was devastated on the way home from dropping it off. And they sold it for 20 bucks. Remember, there's a little five-year-old kid. But on the way home, the kid goes, Dad, do you think someone else will give that tractor to their kid? And the dad wanted to flip the car around and go pick it up. And he's like, yeah, probably so. Well, that boy better not spill water on his dad's computer or he'll lose it too. You know, it's just on and on and on. So anyway, this boy has to keep working with dad for a few months to earn enough money to pay his dad back for the computer. You're going to keep it realistic. It's a very young child, so you're not going to work them <laughs> you're not going to work them to death. You're just going to let the kid feel it. You're going to let the kid experience it. So, a few months later, the dad says, "Hey, I got one more project for you. It's out in the garage." And the kid comes out into the garage, and it's been a bonding time for him. The emotions are gone. And the kid says, what's the project? And he says, I need you to lift the sheet off that thing. And a kid lifts the sheet off the thing. And it's it's the little green John Deere tractor. And the kid jumps on it. He's so happy. You earned enough money. High five, kiddo. You did great. And the kid's riding around the yard. And, he, and the kid comes back to dad. And this was the kicker. The kid said, dad, this John Deere is better than the old one. And the dad goes, why do you say that? And the kid goes, it's faster. It's pedal powered, first of all, but what he realized was that the kid liked it better. The kid found more value in it. It was worth more to the child. And had the dad done anything different, he would have stolen that experience. Those of us who have had parents buy our cars and those of us who haven't have had very different first car experiences. This is what we're talking about. Creating a consequence that allows the child to feel it. We have a saying, if it don't hurt, it don't matter. 
and your loud voice screaming at your kid about how you can't take it anymore and that you you can't stand being lied to and all this types of stuff that is very true and real for you doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't do anything. What does? That's what you got to come up with. What's the natural consequence? All right, examples. So you find out that your kid's sending nude pictures on their cell phone, but you gave that cell phone to them as a gift. And this cell phone thing is hard. Number one, listen to the podcast about cell phones and pedophiles, and it'll make the whole cell phone thing a lot easier. But number two, if you give your child a gift, and then out of anger and, and as a form of punishment, you take a gift away, and that's kind of... So if I'm late to work, uh, my boss doesn't take my cell phone. I get three chances. And if I cannot show up on time, I get fired. So what's what's the version of that? See, there's a way to look at your child and say, um, obviously, you can't handle a cell phone. But you've given it to them as a gift. You can't take it away from them. So what can you take? What do you own? What is something that belongs to you that you're not willing to provide for someone who sends nude pictures of themselves? That's where it starts. You got to think about what's really making you angry or afraid or sad. I mean, really. Because if you just say you shouldn't do that, they could come up with a bunch of reasons why they should. If I don't send my boyfriend nude pictures of me, he's going to go sleep with that other girl. And as a teenager, that's all the motivation you need to go way outside the value system your family has established. So they can out-logic you with their insanity any day of the week. You've all experienced that. But that doesn't mean you have to provide internet. If you're not willing to provide internet to someone who uses it for illicit means, then don't. But that that's some work on your part. And now I know what some of you are thinking. Well, they could go down to Starbucks and log online. Yes, you're right. You can't control everything. You have to start asking yourself, what can you control? And if they have to do their homework at Starbucks, okay. That's, that's fine. That'll be a pain in the butt for them. But you won't have illegal child pornography being passed back and forth on your server, on your internet system, on your Wi-Fi. But it doesn't be, it doesn't do, it doesn't, it's not this thing you've done to them because you're angry at them or disappointed in them or afraid for them. It goes back to a value system. Hey kid, I'm willing to provide internet to anyone in this household who does not use them for illegal things. But the moment someone does something illegal on the internet in this household, that person will not be allowed to use the internet because I'm not willing to provide internet. Not you shouldn't do that. I mean, they, they know what they should and shouldn't do. The posters have been on their high school, junior high, elementary school hallways since they started school. Don't smoke. Those posters have been up. They know it. They know your value system because they've been living it with it for 14, 15, 16, 17 years. Part of their developmental process is to experience life outside of your family system. They have to do it. They have to try to figure out, I, who am I? I'm not him. I'm not her. I'll be me by not being them. That's all they got. So the, the consequence that you're going to impose has to come from what you're willing and not willing to do in this world. And it has to be based on a value system that's a, a blue chip, not a bargaining chip. Bargaining chips are things we can trade around like curfew times. Blue chips are things we don't negotiate. I do not 
and with my kids, I did not negotiate drugs in my house. That was a non-negotiable period. I don't care. I don't care what you think about them. I'm a recovering addict and this home I pay for, and I'll provide a home to people who don't bring drugs into them. And that goes for your friends too. And that was hard. It was hard on my kids. I had all kinds of expectations of what they should and shouldn't do, but expectations we know cause suffering. So it had to become about the willingness of what I was and was not willing to do for me, not for them, for me. That's something they can't argue with. And if they try, that's stupid. My friend's parents are okay. We People go smoke pot in their basement and so-and-so doesn't. That's so sad. That's all you have to say. And we'll get into that in the parents' weekend. But the natural consequences of getting the phone call, having to go to the police station, and then the impound lot, and then the court the next day, is that your kid's going to have some court fees. I wonder how you're going to pay for this lawyer. Well, I don't have to get a lawyer. Well, that is true. You can use the public defender. Lawyers tend to be able to help you get lesser charges, and your public defender might. I mean, I've seen people do some pretty minor stuff and get thrown into jail, but I've also seen people that uh, have done some pretty major stuff and, you know, pled down. So good luck with that. Let me know if you need support with that. Doesn't mean I'm willing to pay for a lawyer for someone else who breaks the law. And you might. That's one that you've got to work on with your family. Uh, just did a podcast with a guy who's not willing to have screens in his house for his son or his daughter until they're 18, period, plain and simple. He's done. He's finished with the screen culture, and he's not willing to have them in his house. Does that mean that the daughter might not get her hands on one outside of the house? Of course she's going to. That it's not going to be punished. It just means he's not willing to do it. What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? And what's life going to step in and do for you? The truth is, when they get busted with an MIP, they're going to get a slap on the hand the first and probably the second time. And they're going to have to start going to diversion or be in some probationary period. And if they screw that up, if you drive them to every single one so that they don't get in more trouble, you're throwing a blanket under the kid who's slipping on the ice. Guess what? We don't know that the ice is hard until we fall. And there's only so many falls we can take before we learn how to stand up. If every time as a child we got caught or we got comforted or we got pillowed every time we fell down while we were learning to walk, there is research saying that kids who are born through cesarean section don't try as hard as kids who have to make it through the birth canal. Look, that's massive understanding on discomfort from the age of zero. So we got to let our kids be uncomfortable. We got to let natural consequences step in. What's your plan? What are you going to do about this? Well, that plan sounds like a good idea. Have you thought about what happens if the judge decides that they're going to make an example of you? Oh, I mean, the system is so screwed up, man. It's just a plan. I don't understand why everybody's so, so bent out of shape about it. I know it's, it's really frustrating when there's laws like I don't like paying taxes, but I'm not willing to face the consequences of not paying taxes. So I pay my taxes. But that's me. That may not be you. So what's your plan, kiddo? And you leave it at that. You let them try their plan out. They're not going to end up in prison where they're getting killed by gang violence. That's not it. And if it goes that far, then yes, intercede. Jump in. Intervene. If it's life and limb, if it's truly life and limb, it's your duty as a parent to dive in between life and limb and your child. That's what we do. But we get so terrified that everything is, and it's not. 
And that's a hard piece. So what are the natural consequences that we've not let our kids suffer? I've had parents expect their kids to pay them back for Fire Mountain. And and the boy on our Facebook page gave us a great review. <laughs> it's, it's, he's still paying his parents back for this. He's grown up to the point to say, I didn't, you didn't do this to me. I did this to you. So listen, if a kid drops out of school or they're saying you drop out of school, there's a great conversation to say, holy crap, that totally terrifies me, but that's not your problem. I'll think about this conversation. Let's have this at a later date. I'm too reactive right now and I love you too much to argue. And certainly school is your work. I've, I've already said that. So let's talk about this later. And then you come back and say, so here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to provide a home for someone under the age of 18 who is either working full-time or going to school full-time. I'm good with either of those. But if either of those are not working, if, if you are not working full-time or not going to school full-time, then I'm not willing to provide a home for that. If you think that it's time for you to get out in the world, we can figure out a way to start doing that. In fact, I was thinking on Saturday, we should go look at apartments. And go look at apartments with your child. And let them see how much it costs. $800 a month, this place is so tiny. Yeah, I know. And that doesn't include uh, electricity or internet or cell phone. Well, you know inside their mind they haven't thought about any of that. Those numbers start to add up. That's how you do it. There's a great story of a family who fought their son. He was obsessed with motorcycles. I want a motorcycle. I want a motorcycle. I want a motorcycle. You can't. The helmets, the insurance, blah, 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 blah. And it just drove him to wanting a motorcycle more. Finally, it's like, let's just take him to go look at motorcycles. Like, obviously, he's hooked on it. They walked into the Harley Davidson dealership. He looked at the price tag of the one closest to the door and said, $64,000? what? This is ridiculous. I don't want a motorcycle and walked out. And that was the end of the conversation. So you can allow your kids to walk a path far enough to realize the truth of it. You do not have to be the purveyors of truth for every idea, thought, or consequence. You can let them discover it. If they're failing a class, let them fail and take it over. If they're failing school, ask them what their plan is. May Keep walking into a place of, uh, of offering support. Do you need help with this one? I have a few ideas. Do you want to hear them? That's how you remain an ally. And when it blows up in their face, guess who they're going to come to? They're going to come to you and ask for help. That's not your time to be like, see, I told you so. You should have listened to me. And if you'd adjust on your homework, because now you're not their ally. This must be really hard for you, and I can see that you're really frustrated. I'm sorry you're going through this. So I've got a couple ideas I've been thinking about. Do you want to hear them now, or do you just want to vent with me? That's an adult conversation. All right. I think you all are learning that I could probably talk forever. I'm, And I want to know if there's any questions, comments, concerns, or critiques about what we're talking about so far. Let her rip. Hey, Aaron. Yeah. Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm Brittany's dad. This is our, the first time we've actually got to join in on one of these calls. I just got to tell you, I'm very, very, very impressed. And Listen, I love your daughter dearly. She is a handful, this oppositional, defiant thing that she's got going on. I can only imagine she has just run you guys ragged. The the constant, ever-changing story. And she's a, she's a sweetheart. She really is trying to put life together on her terms and is 
almost ready to realize that that's not how life works. I really want to see you guys at that next Parents Weekend. So I'm glad you guys are here tonight. I'll make sure you get our last phone call too. I know Jill's been asking me for that and that you guys have been asking. Definitely fine and I'll be, I'll be up there as well. Awesome. So Aaron, I thought this is Brittany's mom. I thought it was interesting what you were saying, how a lot of the parents would not call the police on their kids. Yeah. Because we did do that. We did take her back into stores and we did have managers come over. Um, one told us, you know, hey, you know, that's great. They yelled at her and they said, you know, we're going to do for $250 restitution. So then we're kind of like, oh, never mind. Let's not do that. But we did start getting to the point where the police were getting involved. And I think that's, you know, the most important thing for any family is you kind of have to realize, like, at some point you ha you do have to do that. There, There is a statement that you will hear me say a lot throughout our time together is whatever you tolerate will continue. There is a point, and, and honestly, with, with children who've gone beyond risk and everything like that, there is a point where parents want to cut bait, that they're just like, I cannot keep going with this. That's really got to be tough to be that level of frustration with your own kid and life situation. And I know that if those parents who have gotten to that point just said, I cannot live like this. I cannot do this. I'm done. I'm putting them up for adoption or I'm going to go bury them in the desert. One of the two, I'll figure it out tomorrow. That's what the unregulated nervous system does. But what the regulated nervous system does is says, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. And now I need a support team that quite frankly is going to make life pretty uncomfortable, but it's got to be better than this. And Listen, I have seen it blown up in parents' faces, and I have seen it work miracles on children. Life is a crapshoot. You might call the cops on your kid, and all of a sudden, your kids... Be I have had a family. Here's the horror story. I have had a family whose kid was acting out, and next thing you know, the kid's getting tased in the backyard. How? And of course, the parents felt horrendously guilty. This kid went at the cops. He had gone at his parents so many times that when the cops showed up and they're like, hey, that's enough, he told them to go F themselves. And when they're like, keep going, and we're going to take you down, he took a swipe at one of them. So you bet they tased him. It was horrendous to have the parents watch that. The parents, both the mom and the dad, they were talking to lawyers. Should we press charges? All this type of stuff. The cop was like, look, you called me because the kid's swinging on you. And then he swung on me. Who's going to teach the kid what happens in this world? Who is going to teach the kid what happens in this world? I had experience with that mother who I was talking to about the kid who's banging on her truck with rocks and his feet and everything like that. The names he was calling her. I said to her very, very bluntly, I said, if he was in front of me over the age of 18 and calling my daughter those names, I'd have laid him out. And she's like, I know any guy would have. I was like, so <laughs> what did you do? Well, I tried to tell him that that was really hurt and that really didn't. The kid's completely offline. Kids who are in their prefrontal cortex are not calling their mothers a whore especially when the father's not involved, especially when the kid's adopted. This is their second one. It's a failed, first one was a failed adoption, failing out of school, using drugs. It, like it, his life is an utter mess. He's not thinking. It's not thinking. That's fighting. And fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed is what we do when we're trying to survive. And so that means blood is not actually going to his prefrontal cortex. So trying to talk to Somebody in their limbic system 
you might as well be talking about boiled cabbage. It's not going to work. So we've got to intervene. We've got to do this natural consequences thing. And here is something that you will hear repeated in a lot of our phone calls. You guys got to do this work with your child before it gets bad. And I don't mean gets bad like they end up in RTC. I mean, you start talking about that coming home contract when things are going good. You start talking about things that you're willing and not willing to provide in this world while things are going good, when you can have a conversation. And the moment it starts to slip into reactivity and argument and stuff like that, you stop the conversation and say, I really, I didn't want the conversation to go here and we're getting angry at each other. And I know I'm doing my part of that. So let's just call it off. I love you. I hadn't made a complete decision yet. We'll get back to that. But we start to set the value system when things are good. We define our value system based on things that we like and don't like. They call it the vow, right? And that happens when we're somewhere around 16 years old. We look at our parents and we go, I'm never doing that. Or something happens to us and say, that'll never happen to my kids. Or we see other parents do something where it's like, I'm not doing that. Or we, we watch another family go through their life and say, we're not, we're not going to have TVs in our house. And we make vows all the time and we develop a value system off of the vows we make. And then our child turns 16 and that little SOB starts to act outside the value system they've been living in for 14 years. What's their problem? I got to reel them back in. You can't do it with the voice. You know what reels a child back into the value system? To see that it's established in some sort of reality that this is how you survive in the world. And that's why it's so hard for parents who use to be able to lecture their children effectively on the dangers of use. I mean, that's an extreme example, but let's take a more realistic one. If you want your kid off their cell phone and you want their kid to not be on your cell phone till three in the morning, where do you put your cell phone at night? Is it on your nightstand? Is it your alarm clock too? Does it go to bed with you? Do you watch computer in bed? Do you Facebook till one in the morning? It has to be established as a value system that everybody takes part of. We learn, think back to how many lectures you got from your parents. What did you learn from them? But what did you learn from experience? What did you learn from life? That's why as parents, we got to realize where our leverage ends. Other questions that anybody else might have. What, what's, what's coming up for people? We got as much time as we need. I took an hour of your night. If you need more, ask questions and we'll keep going. I'm good to go. I'm good to go too. I, mean, I learned a lot. You know, I mean, it just sounds a lot of stuff you mentioned sounds like a lot of stuff I was doing. You know, I like what? the whole take a timeout thing. You know, we'll talk about it later. Let's go to bed and give you a moment to calm down and give them their space. Good. That allows people's nervous systems to come back online instead of just going crazy. People disconnecting and disengaging or becoming hyper engaged and hyper fired up and oh my God, like the, the world's going to come to an end. When it comes time to start creating consequences for something that your child did, delay it. Make sure you're online before you expect that of your child. And obviously I don't mean the computer. I mean your brain. Make sure you're not in a reactive space. Talk to people. Do some research. Clever consequences for children. Google it. See what comes up. I've never Googled that. I've had resources like a Love and Logic teacher who was my parent coach. 
my wife who was into love and logic before me, and then all the work that I was doing, becoming a love and logic uh, trainer myself. We also had other parents who we were very close with, who we really admired their parenting system. We also had a very close relationship with people in our school. We utilized our resources. We cannot do this alone. You're doing it with us. You've got 30 people here at my facility who are helping you guys with your kids. The idea that when they're done, you're going to go home and it's just going to be the three or the two of you again is ridiculous. You've got to widen your community as much as possible. You've got to enroll this school counselor in the fact that you're going to try to do things differently. You've got to enroll their teachers that you're going to try to do things differently. That when that principal calls you and said, yeah, the cops are here. They found your kid ditching class and uh, he did have a pipe in his pocket and a small bag of marijuana in his back pocket. We need you to come on down. Your next thing out of your mouth should be, listen, when I come down, my expectation is going to be that my child figures this one out. I am I'm going to be there to love him. I'm going to be there to be his ally, but I am not going to rescue him. And hey, principal, I need you to clear your throat very loudly when you see me start to do enabling behavior. Would you do that for me? Oh, my God, you will become that principal's favorite parent on the whole planet. And you might be here <clears throat> three or four times during it, but that's okay because now you're part of a team trying to help this kid get their freedom through responsibility. But if we do not make our children responsible for fixing the things they broke, they will never have freedom. Freedom and responsibility are the same thing. Now, for people who are drill sergeant parents, this concept is pretty easy. Because this is, I told them, this is the way it is. And that's the way I hire If you don't do it, I want nothing to do with it. That doesn't, that doesn't promote trust either. Because the moment you're saying, here's how we do things in this family, is the moment you're saying you don't have enough intelligence to make a decision on your own. And they're going to rebel that. If you're a helicopter parent where you're constantly swooping in and swooping in and pulling a rescue, it says, I don't trust you to make a decision. Both of those say, I don't trust you. Sharing power is the way that we say, I trust you. Sharing choices reasonable choices. Hey, do you want to start your community service first and then do the other diversion work? Or were you thinking you'd do the diversion work first and then do community service? We're going to try to do them both at the same time. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Well, let me know because if you need rides to places, my first expectation is that you'll take care of it. But if you need my help, I need a week's warning so I can schedule it. If I don't get a week's warning, I won't be able to pull it off. Natural consequences are the most powerful thing we can do with our kids. Here's the last story I'm going to leave you in my last couple of minutes. It's my favorite love and logic story. Kid comes home, high school kid, football practice, single mom, works her butt off, has been bending over backwards for this kid. He's a good kid. It's a pain in the butt because he's a teenager. Comes home and says to mom, I just found out that I can get C's and I can stay on the football team. I have been busting my butt to get B's and A's because I thought that's what I had to get to stay on the team. I can do 70% and still be able to play football. I am 
I'm going to get seized, Mom. I just want to let you know that I'm not dumb. I'm just getting seized. Now, inside, Mom's going, oh, my God, this is not how the world works. The, the rewards are given to those who push one past done, right? But she's a love and logic parent. She says she doesn't make a decision right there. She says, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting plan. I hadn't heard that. I'll be interested to see how this works out for you. Let me know I love you because that's what she's trained to say. I'll be interested to see how this works out for you. Let me know if I can help. I love you. So the next day, the kid uh, after football practice is waiting for mom to pick him up and she doesn't show. And he calls, goes right to voicemail. He knows her phone's off or dead. Calls again, sitting there waiting after football for an hour, two hours, three hours, calling, 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 right to voicemail, right to voicemail. He's left enough voicemails. He starts walking home. It starts to rain. He's so angry. He's calling. He's, he's losing it. He gets home, walking a couple miles home. There's her car right there in the driveway. He jogs that last little bit into the house, bursts through the front door, and there's mom laying on the couch, sipping a glass of wine, reading a book, phone sitting right next to her. Mom, where were you? You were supposed to pick me up. I called you so many times. Oh, I'm sorry. I turned off my phone. What What happened? You are supposed to pick me up. It rained. I had to walk all the way home. Well, I thought about what you said yesterday about how you can do 70% and still stay on the team. And I thought, man, I am busting my butt in this world to try to do 100% because of the rewards I thought I was getting. And I realized you might be right. So here's the new deal, kid. We're going we're gonna to use your plan. I'm only going to pick you up 70% of the time. I'm only going to cook 70% of the time. I'm only going to pay 70% of the bills. I'm only going to do 70% of the housework. You're going to pick up the rest so that we can continue to live here. Take your time to figure out the clever consequence. Take your time and work with your child-rearing partners to figure out how this one's going to count. Because if it don't hurt, it don't matter. That's the biggest thing about consequences. And natural consequences hurt more than ever anything. And if you come up with an idea and it makes you uncomfortable, you are on the right track. I'm going to unmute anybody. Does anybody have any final burning things before we let everybody go and get back to our evenings? Thanks, Aaron. And of course, you guys. Of course. Yeah, thank you. It was a great session and such great pointers. Awesome. I have a bunch of podcasts that are up on Beyond Risk and Back. All of them are designed for parents, teachers, and clinicians to support you guys with topics. And I'll be releasing a whole bunch more. If you only listen to one of them, listen to the cell phone and pedophile one. It is unbelievable what is going on with these kids and their phones nowadays and how risky it is. Um, and it really is going to help you come up with some consequences and some rules around uh, phones with your kids. And it is very appropriate for the kids to be able to listen to that one too. But there's lots of other ones as well. So Hang in there. As always, I, I'll say it to you now. I'm, I say it at the end of every podcast. I say it every time we see you guys and are working together. Here's the rule. You take care of yourself first. You take care of your adult relationship second. And you take care of your children third. Because in that way, we are our best and we do our best work with our kids because of self-care and because of caring for our adult relationships. All right, you guys. That's it. 
go have your evening. Your kids are uh, mellow over in the house. I'm knocking on wood while I'm saying that, so it stays that way. But have a good evening, everybody. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you for joining us at Beyond Risk and Back. Support for parents, clinicians, and teachers. Join us at beyondriskandback.com. You can download past episodes there. Visit Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center's website for information, support, and continuing education trainings for parents and professionals at www.firemountainprograms.com. You can also connect with me directly on Facebook by searching at Beyond Risk and Back. You can also follow me on Twitter, catch me on YouTube, and join me here every week for another podcast. This is Aaron Huey saying, remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work for the children. Thank you for listening, and we will talk again soon.